Robert, I'm really enjoying this beer. I know mm -hmm. it's strong, but it's such a nice beer. It's a nice beer, and, and today's a kind of a day for that beer. It's a dunkel kind of day. It's a dunkel kind of day. <laughs> Not allowed to say that. <laughs> That's my line. Welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. We're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beers. So why don't you pull yourself a pint, pull up a chair, and listen in for the next hour or so. While we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation, leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a message. Dennis, buddy, how are you doing today? Good, good, Robert. It was a bit of a dunkle kind of day, as to borrow a line from you, but we had a beautiful day on the links yesterday, didn't we? So... It was a gorgeous day on the links yesterday, uh, a nice, hot, sunny day. Beautiful day. Uh, we, we, we timed it properly, and we got out there early enough and enjoyed the sunshine, but more importantly, enjoyed the company because Absolutely. Uh, I, I can definitely say I did not enjoy my golf game, and I think you'll oh, attest to that. But The golf games, golf games are always in a, in a state of uh, repair or renewal, if we'll say, just much, much like our faith at times, right? We have to keep working at it. Exactly, exactly. But no, today's a, a, a new day, a day that God has given us, and God has also given us a couple of beers. So what are you drinking today, my friend? Yes, I borrowed this from you, Robert. You had brought this on the show, oh, a month or two back. And I hope I'm pronouncing it right. A premiere from Chimay, a Belgium brewery. Okay, so a nice Abbey Ale from Chimay, a nice Trappist uh, Ale, right. the Chimay and Red Of course, Cap. I didn't. I didn't look at it too closely, but I realized when I picked it up, it was a strong beer. And of course, it's twice the size of your regular beer. So this will do me for the whole show. You I'll figure you're know. going to be having a nap then halfway through? or That's right. That's right. And it's, it, it's got a great taste so far, but I haven't really tasted it because I'm still waiting for the our prayer. You need we'll to wait right for grace it. before beer. And yeah. I've got a stronger beer myself here today. What do you have? I picked up a growler of the Sean's Way IPA from my local, the Old Flame Brewery here in Port Perry. Uh, so I think it comes in at about six and a half percent. So just a wow. little under your Trappist beer. What exactly is a growler? What? How many mils so is that? A, a growler, the one I got was 750 milliliters. So this again, the same size as the bottle you have in front of yourself. Right, right. Yep. So a pint and a half of stronger beer. But no, I'm I'm looking forward to that as well. So why and maybe your list you want to tell our listeners about just before we say our grace before beer. If we're sounding a little bit different this week, do you want to mention what? Well, what I was going to say you're looking pretty technologically sharp there <laughs> on the other side of the Zoom. I, I don't that, get a lot of that, but that's very kind of you, Robert. With we that, look like a couple of budding Larry King Larry King lives here, don't we? Do you want to explain why? Well, Dennis, yeah. Always with an eye out for a deal, you found us a couple of great podcasting microphones uh, on sale. Uh, so hopefully this will help make us sound a little more intelligent than we usually do. A little more intelligent, do. a little more professional. Yeah, I wasn't, I, you know, I, I when I listened back at the podcast and I was, I liked your voice and I thought, mm, mine sounds a little bit tinny. I'd like to kind of see if I can get anything to improve on that. So hopefully this helps a little bit. Well, I hope it helps us with the content as well. Absolutely. So, but again, all of this talk about uh, our technological advancements uh, here is making me thirsty. So let's get grace before beer so we can have our first decipimus. 
our first sip. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race, and grant through the invocation of thy holy name, that whoever shall drink it may gain health in body and peace in soul. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, Robert. Oh, is that a ever a full of flavor? Wow, that's really tasty. Uh, and as you were taking your sip there, it has a nice uh, full color to it as well. The it the does. Cap. Yes, yes. This dark kind of a dunkel kind of look to it, doesn't it? It's it, it's a dunkel kind of beer for a dunkel kind of day. Is that what you're but saying? Not in, but not anymore though. The dunkel kind of day has kind of gone away, and it seems like the sun is trying to poke through the clouds. The the dunkel has dissipated. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Oh, and that's our show for today. That's it's going to be about. No, I don't mean that in a bad way. It is actually going to be a little bit about beer. We're going to continue in the beer vein, are we not today, Robert? Yes, we are. And you're having the the Trappist, you know, the 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 Chimay Red Chimay Cap, and I'm... from the um, pronouncing it wrong, probably Scourmont Abbey in Belgium, Scourmont. I'd have to I'd have to see how you're not pronouncing it properly, but I'd have to see how it's written to be able to well, do that for I'm gonna do that right now. S C O U R M O N T. Scourmont. Scourmont. Scourmont Abbey in Belgium. Very nice. And I've got Did you go to that one? Were you that, that no, one? No, you, you know what? When I was studying at the age of twenty one, so thirty years ago, when I was studying in Brussels, at the age of twenty one, Abbeys were not on high on the list of places to visit. Uh, I probably did have a few Chimay Red Caps in my day, but actually getting to the Abbey's uh, in and of itself was uh, was not high on my touristy things to do no. at that age. No, absolutely not. And, and I've got my, like I said, Old Flame Sean's Way IPA on the go here. And that's one of the things we're always kind of promoting them, the Trappist and Abbey Ales or the, the craft beers to the point where we seem to be kind of slagging the big breweries on a regular basis. But one of the things I've noticed is that we've forgotten that the big breweries, the Molsons, the Coors, the Labats of the world, were actually all once a small local craft brewery mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. own towns. And you had the, the Coors out in Colorado and Molson out of Montreal, uh, Alexander Keith's in Halifax. And if ever you get a chance to get out Eastern Canada in Halifax, a great little tour of the historic Alexander Keith Brewery right downtown Halifax by the water. Uh, Labatt's in London, Ontario, and O'Keefe's in Toronto. Yeah, we just forget that they all started out small. They're these big conglomerates now because you have Molson Coors, which uh, seems to have half of those beers. And then on the other side, you have Labatt's, which is uh, one time anyways, was Unibrew out of uh, Belgium. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and so they're, they're it all seems these... like it's just a couple of breweries left in the world, isn't it? Like there's just in the hands of about 10 large breweries, but it wasn't always the case as we're going to mention today. In today's yeah, and episode. I think that's why we're seeing the movement towards the craft beers now, because it's, uh, it's just a more flavorful and I find a nicer beer. Well, but we had spoken about that. Opinion. I, th- I think we spoke about that after golf yesterday and, and the fact that, you know, you are going to pay a little bit more and for, for not, you know, obviously not everybody can afford that, but 
you are getting that better tasting beer. It doesn't seem that, you know, mass produced beer. There's much more flavor, like you say, but like everything in life, if you, you know, you have to pay for it, but yeah, I'm enjoying these craft beers too. I think you got me started on them. And obviously too, these big breweries, they were doing something right for them to grow to the size that, that they are today. Right. One of the things I always noticed growing up with these bigger breweries is that there was a bit of a cultural divide as well with them growing up, you know, part French Canadian, part English Canadian. Mm-hmm. So I would say I'm Canadian, uh, background, both Francophone and Anglophone. Uh, I noticed that Molson seemed to be the, the beer of French Canadians. It was the, the beer that my French Canadian father enjoyed uh, and his family drank. Well, the Labatt's beers seemed to be more the English Canadians that uh, were enjoying those. Uh, also in English Canada, we had the O'Keefe beer. But what I also, when I kind of step back and look, and it's just a personal observation, there's no scientific data to back this up, but that Labatt's was kind of like the English Protestant beer of the time. And O'Keefe's was more of the English Catholic or with the name like O'Keefe, I don't think we would say English Catholic, but Irish Catholic. Irish Catholic and, and Molson as well was, was Protestant too, but both Molson and Labatt were dominant. I mean, they, they've been the big players in Canada for mm-hmm. over 150, 200 years in the case of Molson, at least, but O'Keefe, it, it was around it was strong for a while now kind of faded into the background, but such an interesting story about O'Keefe and the growth of Catholicism in Toronto or bear, which we're going to talk about in the next few minutes. And, and that's and from an Irish immigrant, like you pointed out, from actually born in, in County Cork, Ireland, same place as my mom. And that's kind of one of the beauties I, I find in researching for the podcast is stumbling across these stories where beer and the faith intersect. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we have someone like Eugene O'Keefe, uh, who didn't come from an agricultural background like most brewers right. did at that time. Uh, he came from the business world, like you said, an immigrant from Ireland, from County Cork. Uh, he was in the banking industry. Banking business, that's right, yeah. But he spent a, a number of hours at a local brewery, the Victoria Brewery in downtown Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, and he eventually bought the brewery out uh, along with and a couple of friends who were friends, yep. brewmasters, and they started producing the O'Keefe beers. Beers. And as you, as you pointed out, as you read and you sent me that great article, is that all you could get in Toronto, of course, because of the Irish, the English, was stouts and ales. And he said, no, let's let's make a lager in this brewery. And that seemed to kind of be, you know, how his business took off. There was, a, you know, a wave of German immigration into Toronto. Obviously, they'd be fond of the lagers. So he makes this lager. And this, this O'Keefe Brewery is, by the late 1800s, early 1900s, is you know, taking its place with the big boys. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And I remember that lager that he, he made, the old Vienna lager. The OV. The OV. Yeah. And OV. <laughs> anyone who grew up in the 70s and 80s knows that OV is a great tasting beer. Huh? <laughs> I, I wonder if that commercial is on YouTube somewhere. We'll have to try it's to gotta be. that up. I remember that one. And then the Carling Black label, which we'll talk about Carling inside. But the OV is actually American originated. And then I think he ended up purchasing or the O'Keefe Brewing Company ended up purchasing old, purchasing old Vienna. But yeah, if you, I mean, you didn't have to go anywhere in the 70s and 80s growing up in Toronto and there was an OV at some party, parents party or something like that. 
Exactly. And, and everyone kind of knew of Carling O'Keefe because by that point, Carling and O'Keefe breweries, the two breweries had amalgamated Had amalgamated because yep. there was the big Carling O'Keefe brewery out by the airport in Toronto. And it was right. kind of a landmark. If you were going to the airport, that was a landmark that you were getting close to the airport. Was, you went and right you could see this brewery. Carling O'Keefe brewery. That's right. And you know what? And that might've been his story, Eugene O'Keefe, if not for the fact that he was such a, um, you know, philanthropy was his part and parcel. It was his whole, you know, end game. It wasn't just about making beer. He did so much for the Catholic community in Toronto in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And we're going to talk about a few of those things. Yeah, right no, now. He was very, very involved in the Catholic community in Toronto during that time. Like you said, the late 1800s, early mm-hmm. 1900s. Uh, he was, you know, from the article, we learned that he was almost a daily communicant at St. Michael's Cathedral. At St. Mike's, yep. He would, you know, not just on Sundays, uh, but he was there through the week as well. And because he had such a tie to St. Michael's Cathedral in Toronto, he was a very generous benefactor mm-hmm. to the cathedral, as I'm sure he would be today. He would have probably helped finance a lot of the renovations that went oh, on there sure. over the last few years. And I think he did help finance a renovation at that time back in the 1800s. And let's not forget, I don't think his brewery was that far from the cathedral. It was, we're all talking just on the east side of downtown Toronto to this day. Obviously the brewery's long gone, but St. Michael's Cathedral is still going strong. Yeah. And you know, kind of, again, the tie into the English, uh, the English, the Irish immigrants and St. Michael's Cathedral. One thing that always blows my mind away is that the, the foundations for the cathedral were dug by hand by Irish immigrants. What a massive so was, undertaking that would have been. Yeah, so there, there's huge links between St. Michael's Cathedral and the Irish Catholic community, of whom Eugene O'Keefe would have been one of the, the leading personalities. Yeah, if not the leading personality, because obviously Toronto, as people may have forgotten, was a very orange, very Protestant uh, town back in the 1800s. So for a Catholic, certainly to rise up to that level of uh, business acumen would have been a major thing. And he would have been the benefactor for Catholics in Toronto. Yeah, And his benefactor, his, his philanthropy didn't end just with the cathedral. When his wife passed away, in memory of his wife, he constructed St. Monica's Parish, the church for St. Monica's Parish at Young and Eglinton. So in the northern part of Toronto, I guess if you want to say uptown Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, at that time, it would have probably been just north of the city. Right, right. right. It would have been the northern part. Now it's Midtown, but yeah, it would have been the northern part back in 100 years ago. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. church right there on uh, just north of Eglinton. Yeah, and so he built that because St. Monica, the mother of St. Augustine of Hippo, was his wife's favorite saint. Yeah. And so he built that in, in her honor. And then also, too, his heart went out to the Polish immigrant community. He noticed that a lot of the Polish immigrant community were having to go to St. Michael's Cathedral, so having to make... You know, at that time, a fairly long trek from would what have been is a bit of a trek. The, yeah. the, the west end of Toronto mm-hmm. to St. Michael's because they did not have a parish of their own. So he went out of his way and he purchased a Presbyterian church. So he didn't build a, a new church. Mm-hmm. He purchased a, a Presbyterian church. He brought in a Polish pastor for the, the Polish community and he founded St. Stanislaus. Yeah, and, and that was such a, is so interesting, too, and the fact that he cared about these people. Now, it was probably just, you know, two or three kilometers away from St. Michael's Cathedral, but when transportation wasn't great, many of these new immigrants would not have owned vehicles. Obviously, vehicles were in their infancy. Like, they had to trudge cro- across the city, and he says, you know what, let, let me get a church for you. 
And I thought that was great. And this church, as you know, Robert, was, you know, a mainstay for Polish immigrants for the next hundred years coming into Toronto, you know, through after World War II, when a lot of these uh, people were displaced out of, you know, war-torn Europe, St. Stanislaus was there for them. And it was such a big part of the Polish Catholic community that in the late 60s, a certain cardinal, Karol Wojtyła, mm-hmm. came and made a visit. Saint right, that's how parish. important it was, and and I thought, for instance, when he built this church, that it would have been, you know, the Polish community, as you know, is a little west of that area in the Ronsonsvale area, where the mm-hmm. real Polish community. But this was more of a downtown kind of uh, pair, so it hadn't they hadn't immigrated out to the west west side of Toronto yet. No, but like and but his see. biggest, as you know, his biggest benefact, you know, his biggest philanthropic donation was, of course, to build. St. Augustine Seminary, in, in, uh, which would have been way out in the farmland of Scarborough. That would have been Booneyville at the Booneyville. time. Booneyville, yes. Right. And, and that was interesting. I think the bishop asked him, thinking, okay, he'd make a donation. And he basically said, yeah, I'll, I'll build you a seminary. Because as, as the article points out, there was no English-speaking seminary at the time. People, You had to go to f- French Canada. You had to go to Quebec if you wanted to. Other than religious orders, of course, the Bazilians had a seminary in Toronto. But... You couldn't, as a diocesan priest, there was no place to go in Ontario. And St. Augustine Seminary is such an imposing structure when you drive up to it. Still the, sits there. The yep. And they still have a huge property there on the Scarborough Profs. I know. You think of that land in front there, all those acres, and you think, oh, I hope they don't sell to you know developers because they need the money. It's such a beautiful piece right on the, uh, you know, like you say, the Scarborough, overlooking Lake Ontario. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. And like I say, this big imposing building. So you have to imagine if it has that kind of stature now, mm-hmm. when it was all by itself out in the middle of the fields and there was nothing around it, how much more effect that would have had and how much more oomph that would have provided for the Catholic community for the in community Toronto at, at the that time. time. Yeah. And you know, looking at the article and reading the article, it, it says that he built this St. Augustine Seminary. He bankrolled it. He didn't build it with his own two hands, obviously, but he bankrolled the construction of St. Augustine Seminary in the early 1900s to the tune of $450,000. Which would have been a chunk of change at the time. Yeah, and it's estimated that today that would be up in around $10 million. Wow. To, to build the, the seminary. What a generous man. And both you and I have had the opportunity to visit St. Augustine Seminary uh, you were there maybe a little bit more often than than I have because you were taking courses there. Um, but through the grace of God, uh, I've been able to go through some Saturday sessions with right. my We've wife. Been to retreats there, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful, beautiful chapel. You've got rooms. You Obviously, we both haven't seen the residences because those are on the top floors. But I, I mean, it's still an imposing building to this day. Yeah, and like you say, the chapel is absolutely gorgeous with all, with all of the marble and the stained glass. Mm-hmm. And even the refectory, the, the mm-hmm. cafeteria itself is a, a big, beautiful room with a, an amazing mural of the Last Supper at the one end. You know, and as much as uh, Eugene O'Keefe was very active in the Catholic community, his philanthropy went outside of the church as well. And there's a number of other cultural centers that carry his name throughout uh, the city of Toronto. The main one that stands out to my mind growing up was the O'Keefe Center. Now, it's no longer called the O'Keefe Center 
Uh, it's changed names a couple of times. It was the it Sony was the Center hum- for the Performing Arts. It was the Hummingbird. Arts. Is the it the Hummingbird bird now, or was it the Hummingbird? In I, I've lost track. I haven't been there in so long. For but me, it was it always was... the O'Keefe Tuss, right on right on Front Street, the O'Keefe Center, right? Yeah, for I for mean, me, it will plays, always be the O'Keefe Center. Ballet, opera, everything. Every every big show that came to Toronto in the 60s and 70s pretty well played the O'Keefe. Robert, I'm really enjoying this beer. I know mm-hmm. it's strong, but it's such a nice beer. It's a nice beer, and, and today's a kind of a day for that beer. It's a dunkel kind of day. It's a dunkel kind of day. <laughs> Not allowed to say that. <laughs> That's my line. Not allowed to say that. And I think we have some uh, quotes. We've come up with a few quotes. I think we should do this more often too, Robert. We have, you know, we're coming across great quotes from saints left and right, and. We should be bringing them to every show because they're really, I find them really inspirational. You've come across something that is quite interesting when it comes to, you know, rain, because we've had an awful lot of rain this July as we move into August. Yeah. And before um, more I kinda, so than I can remember, it's time to start building an arc, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is, isn't it? Uh, and just before I give that that quote, I think you're onto something. Maybe we need to make that as a regular segment of the podcast is, you know, a faith quote doesn't necessarily have to be a saint quote, but a, but a faith quote, a quote that has has to do with the faith, because again, it's stuff that we're doing. We're often coming across these quotes and we're texting them to one another to help yep. edify each other. So yeah, we need to to bring that to the podcast as well. So I think we'll do that. Yep. We'll, we'll try to do that going forward. Is to to have a little segment on quotes, and so like you said, I came across my wife and I at lunch today because it was pouring rain outside we were talking about how much rain has been falling. And my wife reminded me, she says, remember back a few weeks ago, we were talking about that if it rains on a particular saint's day, it's supposed to be lots of rain thereafter. And I said, I remember kind of, we were talking about (laughs) that, Uh, but I needed to look it up because I, I vaguely remembered having the conversation, but I couldn't remember exactly which saint we'd been talking about and which feast day we'd been talking about. So thanks be to Google. I found that it was uh, St. Swithin. And St. Swithin was the Bishop of Winchester in England. Uh, You know what? If you had said St. Swithin, I would have like never heard of him, but I would have said he's probably an English bishop or probably an English saint. And how many years ago? I would say at least a thousand years. when, When did he live, Robert? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot and I'd have to Google. I'd have to Google that. I'd, just give me a second, because I think that page is maybe even still open on my phone. And uh, did he die a martyr's death? Can you find that out as well? No, I'm just joking. We don't need that information. <laughs> uh, no, we just said thanks be to Google, but there's also thanks be to Wikipedia for this kind of uh, That's right. this kind of thing. You know, now why don't I read out the quote while you find out that information? Okay, yeah, go. you go ahead and read out the quote, and I'll find the information for us. St. Swithin's Day, if thou dost reign for 40 days... It will remain. St. Swithin's day, if thou be fair, for 40 days till rain nigh mare. And so if it rains on St. Swithin's day, which is July 2nd, and July 2nd is also a very important day because you know that's the last day to be buying my birthday present. That's right, right, of course, yes. So St. Swithin... Don't tell me your wife remembered that it rained on that day. Well, we only remembered that it rained on that day because on that particular day, because we both read the saints of the day right. on the Laudate app. So we would have seen that that morning. 
and gone, oh, okay, it's kind of raining today. And we would have had that conversation. So we remembered having the conversation okay. that it was raining on a particular saint's day, which meant that it was going to rain, but we couldn't remember what day it was or, or who the saint was. So yeah. it was only going back. So I can tell you it rained here on July the 2nd, only because I remember having the conversation. Right. And plus it rained probably half the days of July going forward. So you're 50% chance that it, it, regardless of whether or not you knew it rained, it, there's a very good chance it had rained. Yeah. And so St. Swithin died in 863. And he okay, was I was the, close. And he was the Anglo-Saxon Bishop of Winchester and became the patron saint of Winchester Cathedral. Uh, oh, so then we get into the song, Winchester Cathedral. Go on. Uh, and Which I don't know. No, you would, yeah, if I could sing, you'd probably recognize it. And his historical importance as bishop is overshadowed by his reputation for posthumous miracle working. Hmm. And according to tradition, if it rains on St. Swithin's Bridge in Winchester on his feast day, now here it's saying the 15th of July, but he has feast day of July 2nd and July 15th. And I know it wasn't, it was much earlier in the, the summer that we were talking about this. It will continue to rain for 40 days. And 40 is also very significant. We know that the number 40 is, uh, has right. a lot of biblical significance along with rain. I mean, like I said, we start building an ark because with Noah, it rained for 40 days. Now we had Christ out in the desert for 40 days. 40 days yep. uh, Moses and the Israelites wandered the desert for 40 years. So I know 40 is also a very, very much a, a biblical uh, significance. But it's because it rained on St. Swithin's Day that we've had so many dunkel days this summer. And today again was a dunkel kind of day. And I <laughs> wanted to break out a dunkel to have again today. I'm so glad you didn't. Well, I went to the fridge and like, you know, old mother Hubbard who went to the cupboard to fetch a poor dog a bone. I went to the fridge to fetch a dunkel <laughs> and the fridge was bare. Well, it wasn't, it was, it was bare of dunkel. I wouldn't say that the fridge was, was bare. I thought you were going to say it was bare of beer. I was no. going to say that's not a very... <laughs> No, uh, it's not. It's not bear of beer. Uh, there's no more bear beer in there. And if you remember a few weeks back, oh, that's I had right. The, I had few, the yeah. bear IPA. The bear. What was uh, it? Was that the worst? One of them was the worst beer you tasted. No, was the that bear the one IPA was... is one of my one of my favorites. One of the what worst was the one that you tasted. had? Uh, and that was way back. One of our first. No, that was a couple of shows. No, that was only a couple of shows ago. And you taste it and you put that smile. You had that kind of weird smile on your face. And you Oh, was that the, the, the tea infused beer? That's the one. As yeah. soon as you said infused, uh, you just lost half the listeners. We started to boycott your show and everything. <laughs> like infused. No, no more tea infused beer. Please. So. And there's you know no don't call either. What so would the, What would the monks and... Scrumont Abbey say about Scrumont. What they say that. about tea-infused beer? They wouldn't be very happy with you, Robert. Uh, no, they would not. No, no they would so not. No more tea-infused beer. But it is kind of a dunkle kind of day. It's changed a little bit. It's nice now. And you've got a couple of quotes that we've come up with, have we not, Robert? Yeah, and so you mentioned one, and we talked about how we send these, these quotes back and forth on a regular basis to help edify each other mm -hmm. because we are brothers in Christ because of our, our friendship and you know it's our job to help each one of us to get to heaven and you sent this quote from saint maximilian colby right uh, so yeah you read it out and we'll we'll discuss it uh, so god sends us friends to be our firm support in the whirlpool of struggle in the company of friends uh, we will find strength to attain our sublime ideal 
Right. And I, I don't think that's, you know, getting all, you know, touchy feely. It's just kind of a, it's a statement that says, you, you know what, obviously in a relationship with God, we need friends to help us out, friends of faith. And you, you've said that for years, Robert, and you do your best to, to be that friend, but you also do that best to have that network of friends. I mean, you do have those, you know, workshops that you, you know, you do on a regular basis and your men's group that you help, you know, other men have those friends, have those friendships. Well, and you want to put yourself in a group of friends that are going to help you get to heaven. Because if your friends are not helping you get to heaven, where are they helping you get to? As there's really only one other destination at the end of this earthly life, right? So we need to, to surround ourselves uh, with friends that are going to help us get to heaven that will uh, be honest with us in times where honesty is needed. Uh, like you said, this quote isn't necessarily touchy feely. Uh, if you ever see the the beard on Saint Maximilian Kolbe, I don't know if he was really a touchy feely kind of guy with a beard yeah, like yeah. that, right? Because but, there are going to be struggles. There are going to be many struggles along the way. Christ never promised us an easy life. He promised us glory in eternal life if we follow Him. And where are we to follow Him? To the cross. And that's not going to be easy. And again, all of his friends seem to have deserted him at that time. So we need to find that company of friends that we can have the strength to attain our sublime ideal, which is heaven. And right. like you say, I, I tried to do that for you, but I know that you do that for me as well. And there'll be times that I will come to you with this, that, or the other thing. And you're like, Robert, give your head a shake. Mm. Right? Yeah, it's nice to be able to to speak to someone who, you know, knows you and is able to kind of say, listen, don't worry about that. That's not that important, that point, you know, or that situation, right? There's bigger fish to fry. And I think that, I think in a, in a sense that this, that's what this show is all about. You know, it's about us just talking as friends, talking about the faith, talking about, you know, when you look at, a, you know, a little bit of history of the faith, but just things that deal with the faith, because we all need those little you know, those people around us who are going to push us towards, as you say, Christ on the cross. Yeah. And it's not going to happen overnight. No. Right? That, that friendship doesn't happen overnight. Like, yes, when we first met, there was a connection because there was that common interest of things of the faith. Uh, there was the common interest of golf. There was the common interest of the beer. Mm -hmm. right? TFC. Just, T TFC. The, the, Who aren't doing the, very the footy. well. Uh, TFC, they're doing better. Mm. They're doing better. Uh, better, yeah. But there, there were those common connections that first began to ferment the friendship. But we've known each other now for eight years. Wow. And we see each other more or less on a daily basis, especially in the, the working year. Right. And that friendship has grown. And I don't think I would say the same things to you back then when we met that I would say now, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't share the whirlpool of struggles that I go through with you back then that I do now, because that, that trust has been built to take it a step further. That friend that is closest to us in company is our spouse. Right. And having a spouse and it goes back to those kitschy wedding invitations. You know, today I marry my best friend. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you marry actually someone who's beyond your best friend because the two become one flesh. Right. But they are there to be with you through the whirlpool of struggle to help give you strength, to help edify you so that you can attain that sublime ideal. And that sublime ideal is arriving in paradise, is being in heaven. But it's not going to be easy. No. Not going to be easy. And so we're on this constant search for heaven, this constant search for God, and we're helping one another out with that. And that kind of brings us to our next quote as far as searching for God. If you want to read the next quote from St. Augustine. God seems to hide from those who search for him and search from those who wish to hide from him. And I didn't type that out right. As you're reading it, I'm going, that just doesn't sound right. Okay. So that's me. And I was the one typing up. So now God seems to hide from those who search for him and search for those for those who wish to hide from him. Well, we, we just have to look at, you know, Moses. I mean, you know, Moses doesn't want to be, you know, my brother Aaron, he's a better speaker than I am. I mean, throughout the biblical history, we see examples of this. So basically, it's saying that you can't hide. No, you can't hide from God. But also, too, when you go looking for him, you're not necessarily going to find him the way you think you're going to find him. Yeah, that's a good point, because that first one can be misconstrued a little bit. God seems to hide from those who search for him. It's not that he's hiding, but maybe he's hiding in the sense he's not that particular God that you're looking for in terms of what you want him to be. Is that what it's saying? I think so. I think because mm. we have a tendency to put our image upon God as opposed to putting God's image upon ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, when right. we go looking for God, we want God to jump through our hoops. We want God to perform the miracles we ask him to do. And so he's when made we go in our, but he's made in our image, isn't he? Oh no, it's the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens. Isn't it? Yeah. Or like our Cardinal, our Archbishop Cardinal Collins says, you know, it's, so often we don't say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We say, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so God seems to hide from those who search for him. And I know for myself too, there are times where I look for that spiritual consolation in my prayer life. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm praying my daily rosary, I should feel like I'm walking on clouds, right? Or if I'm in adoration before the blessed sacrament, uh, it should be so tantalizing that I should start to levitate. Right. And then that doesn't happen. And I'm like, well, then I guess God's not here. If I'm not levitating in prayer, God must not be with me. But it's in those little moments where all of a sudden you feel God's presence beside you that you realize that he's there. So it's when you don't go looking for him that he seems closest. And it's when you're looking for him, he seems to, to hide. He seems to hide. Yeah. But it that, is those little moments, isn't it, Robert? Yeah. But that being said, how often do we turn away from God where we hear God calling us in a certain direction? Dennis, I want you to do this. Dennis, I want you to start a podcast with Robert. And Dennis is like, right. well, no, I don't know. I don't know. And yeah. putting it off, putting it off. So when God's calling us to do things, a lot of times we try to hide from him. And I was hiding from him and he was searching me. And then he put you in place to search to keep you know, to keep on me. But I can be just as, as guilty of that as anyone else. I know. Yeah. Right? We're always, we're all guilty of that every, you know, throughout periods of our life type thing. Well, and I think it's just a human tendency, that human tendency towards sin. Right. right? 
that we are so wrapped up of about being in the world and being of the world, we forget that there's something better. Right. And I think too, being wrapped up, I, I like that point as, as we move into the next quote from St. Francis de Sales, because sometimes, you know, I have a tendency to kind of maybe dismiss some people and, and not to be there for everybody, not just the people we like. And if we read St. Francis de Sales quote, Robert, if you want to read that. It is to those who have the most need of us that we ought to show our love more especially. And sometimes how often do we dismiss, dismiss that person on the street or, you know, maybe the person collecting cans as they go from house to house on in the morning in our neighborhoods and stuff like that. Or the person who, you know, needs us the most in terms of maybe doesn't have friends or something like that. And we dismiss them and we don't show them the love. And, and how, I'm, I'm as guilty as the next person on that point. Yeah, and, and how many times is that person that has come to us in need and that we dismiss or that we look away from, it's really God that has come it's to Christ. search us out. Yeah. Right? And we hear that so many times in the, the stories of the saints. Uh, just recently, it was the Feast of St. Christopher. Uh, and Christopher would help carry travelers across a, a raging river. Right. And the one day there was a, a young boy that wanted to cross the river. And so St. Christopher puts him on his shoulders. And as he's crossing the river with this boy on his shoulders, he's like, he can't believe heavier, how heavier. heavy yeah. this boy is. And when he gets him to the other side, he realizes uh, Christ uh, reveals himself to him, that it was the Christ child who was carrying the weight of the sins of the world. And I love that story growing up. And I was a little bit, you know, that my baptismal name, of course, Christopher, and I was a little bit upset to to hear that he had been roof, removed from the lexicon of saints there too. So I'm, I love right. that story. Still yeah. with the popular devotion, I think there's, right. there's still there's still something there, and, and similar story. And I can't remember. I want to say it's Saint Martin of Tours, Saint Martin de Tours, uh, Saint or, or Saint Martin of Tours, for <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the way I would pronounce it. But I love that Saint Martin de Tours. Uh, or Saint Vincent de Paul, you know Saint, Saint Vincent de Paul. Saint Vincent de Paul, and it's one okay. or the other. Wow, one, yeah. one, one or the other. This story, I'm pretty sure it's Saint Martin of Tours because he was a soldier, and he came across a beggar at night who had nothing to keep him warm, and so okay. he cut his is... he cut his cloak. I'm pretty sure it's Saint Martin of Tours. Sounding familiar, yeah. And so he cut his cloak in half to help warm this poor beggar. And it was after giving this poor beggar his cloak, so sacrificing his own warmth, his own warmth for the warmth of this beggar, that he came to realize that it was actually Christ. Mm, wow. Right. And even when we think of in scripture, and yeah. I'd, it would take too long for me to dig out the exact citation in, in scripture where this I is. I'm, where going to, going with I'm going to paraphrase, but you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. You know, when I was in prison, you visited me. Right. Right. And so I think St. Francis de Sales here is speaking directly to that. Right. And it's not necessarily just that clarion call to go out for the, you know, the, to do the social work of the church, but also too, and you need to think about, you know, it is to those who have most need of us that we ought to show our love more, especially you know, 
Outside of myself, Dennis, who drives you the most nuts? Who drives you crazy? I know I drive you absolutely yeah. bonkers. And <laughs> right. Well, I I don't. Yeah. And, and you don't need to name names here no. on the show. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not asking you to name names here. But on you're the saying show. that's going to be difficult to show them love, most especially. Yeah, and I, I don't know how many times. But you know there... what, though, you you make a really good point, though, Robert, because I thought of it in terms of like social justice, and that's so important, you know, to be helping those less fortunate. But you're almost talking about people who need us more, maybe on the spiritual sense, who have everything else, but yeah. maybe don't have that sense of the faith that maybe somehow we can kind of bring that to them a little bit. And, and be a witness of the faith. Be a, be a, quiet, be a quiet witness of the faith quiet to these witness, people. Yep. But there are people out there, and whether it's, it's people we see in our social circles, it's people mm -hmm. that we work with. Like I said, I know working with you, I'm the one who drives you the most crazy in the building. No, no. But <laughs> yes, I do. Well, second. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> But praying for those people and yeah. praying for your relationship with those people. And I've seen that happen where there have been people that I found it difficult to get along with mm -hmm. that the more I prayed for them and the more I prayed for their relationship, the easier that relationship. That's really became. nice. That's interesting. Yeah. And again, I think that's in some ways what St. Francis de Sales is getting at. Yeah. Right. Not just that. Because I think St. Francis, I know when you think about that quote is to those who have the most need of us that we ought to show, it's easy to show love for the people who you love, obviously, but maybe the people that aren't as lovable, those people we kind of have to make an effort with. That's yeah. a difficult thing. So like you say, it's easy to, to love the people that are closest to us. It's loving and, and, and love is, again, coming back what we said with St. Maximilian Colby, loving is not that necessarily the touchy-feely no, kind of no. love. Just wanting what is best for them. Right. And sometimes love is telling them what's right, and it's not really what they want to hear. That's again, love too. Yeah, and I always say, you know, sometimes love has to say no. Yep. And we both, both of us as parents, both of us as dads, know that we love our children dearly, and sometimes we have to say to our children, no, no, yeah, right, or Absolutely. coming back to to being, you know, the friends that God sent us and loving each other as a friend. Sometimes, Dennis, I know you have to say to me, no, you cannot no. have another beer. <laughs> right? Not while we're doing the podcast. After podcast is done, you may imbibe. But, you know, if it comes to that, that could sow a little bit of discord and a little bit of contradiction. Which then right, but in us... the end, it, it'll, it'll, I think that person in particular, especially if it was myself, I know I would appreciate that coming from somebody who I trust and I have this relationship with for sure. And, and that's trust. That, that's yeah. trusting in God. That's trusting in Christ to give us the words to say in those Grace. particular moments. Absolutely. Yep. Right. Uh, and not relying on our own wit, not relying on our own talents, on our own intelligence to bring that to the other person's attention, but to let Christ work through us through us. Yeah. So that we can do it with, with tact. Right? And so in those moments of contradiction, like you say, for those that we are called to love, we can do so tactfully. And that brings us kind of to our final quote for today. Right. From St. Louis. Saint, Saint I can't Louis remember. Is it my turn or your turn? Did you read the last one? I think I read the last one because the St. Augustine quote, which I typed in wrong, Yes, you I read that. So, so. yeah, uh, hopefully that I typed this. I can't oh. remember that quote ten minutes ago. Say oh. Louis the ninth. No, I'm thinking enough. 
Nein. Saint Louis le Neuf. Saint Louis le Neuf. In order to avoid discord, never contradict anyone except in the case of sin or some danger to a neighbor, and when necessary to contradict others. Do it with tact and not with temper. And that was the case. I did that a couple of times where I corrected people who I knew they were wrong, but really it wasn't a big thing. And I thought to myself later, why did I do that? What was the point of me correcting that when it really wasn't sinful, nor was it, nor was anyone in danger? So, so I thought to myself, was that my ego coming through or was it just a sense that I wanted to make sure that they knew that they had actually what they had said was wrong. And I, I really liked that. I saw that it was in the, uh, our missal of uh, July, I believe, in with the church, and I thought to myself, "What a great quote, Saint Louis." So, so really, what you're talking about is our golf game yesterday, where yes. you were correcting me on every swing of the club. <laughs> no, I was. But you know, in, in all fairness, I had about well, three times more swings at the ball than you did over I the course of the eighteen times. holes. You had a, you had a couple more swings, maybe maybe else. twice as many, but yeah. but but how do you, in the sense, though, Robert? How do you get no one to step in and 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 say to someone okay you know i need to say something here or to let something go and and when yeah. we do step in to say something do we do it with tact and not with temper often we do it with a little bit of our backs up correct and i think we do it a lot of times with a little bit of self-righteousness mm. in there as well a lot of self-righteousness you're right. absolutely right. which yep. really need to avoid as well ego plays in pride comes in right yeah. we're talking seven deadly sins here and how how do you know when it's appropriate to do it and i think that comes down to relationship yes and that goes right back what we, we were speaking about right off the top when we we're talking Previous about one. from yeah. saint maximilian colby and the good friends that the lord sends us Mm-hmm. that that relationship has to be there. Like I said, there's things I would say to you now that I wouldn't, wouldn't have, have said, said eight, eight years, years ago when right. we first met. Right. There, there needs to be that relationship built. It needs to come across as being proposed. It needs to come across as a proposition and not an imposition. Hmm. The unfortunate thing is in our day and age, a lot of times those propositions are taken as impositions. Right. All right. Uh, and I know Bishop Barron in his Catholicism series, he talks about one of the things that we've lost in our society today is the ability to have a good disagreement. Mm. Mm. Because wow, as, soon as, as soon as we yeah. disagree with someone, it's like, you hate me. Because everything is based on emotions today. Yeah. Correct. Everything is, is emotional. It's down to the emotional level. You can't disagree with someone with, without saying, you know what, I respect you. But I think it's actually, you know, this is what I believe. Yeah. And, and another I, problem or an, problem. another thing that feeds into that problem, I think, is social media. Social media. Because, you know, the, the keyboard warriors, everything that's done through the Internet is done with a certain sense of anonymity. Yes. And that's the last point there. And often, and, and you would know more than myself with, with regards to social media because I'm not on Robert, but it's often done without tact. And it's very often done with temper, correct? Correct, correct. And then the other part of that, the flip side, is when you're reading that stuff, is a lot of times we will read emotion and we'll read inflection into what is written there that isn't necessarily there. There, yeah. Right. And and you and I know when it comes with communication, because there's a lot of communication we do is done through email. 
And there's sometimes it's like, this is just better done as a live voice conversation. Right, right. Or face-to-face conversation. Yeah, because you're trying to pick up those inflections, like you say, and you're like, is this person saying them this way or that way? Whereas if we're speaking to each other now, you, you know exactly what the case is. And so, but I think that also comes across on the other end. When you're just receiving a message without the proper voice inflection, without the proper body language, tact is all out the window and you start reading more into it. That's there. And that's there. Isn't that interesting? But like San Luis says here in, in the quote, we need to avoid that contradiction. So again, like you said, when do you pick those moments to contradict someone or when do you pick those moments to correct someone's behavior? And a lot of that comes down to relationships. Relationships, yeah. Uh, in the case of sin and danger to neighbor, uh, each and every circumstance I think is different. Mm. On but I think the point you make about relationships is key because without relationships, nobody's going to listen to you anyhow. It's going to end in a you don't have relation, Yeah, it's just going to go in one ear and out the other, right? If you don't have a relationship with that person. But anyhow, I think you came up with a last question too, just before we leave, Robert. I think you have a yes, no question this week. Yeah, and so we talked about this uh, in one of our prior episodes that we'd like to do this as a regular ongoing thing is to have a, a yes or no question to kind of finish things off. And the one that I came across this week And again, between timing and having learned from opening Pandora's box on social media, didn't put this out there again either, but yes or no, should Catholics chew on the Eucharist? That's an interesting question. Should Catholics chew on the Eucharist? Yeah. So when you receive the Eucharist, right, and right now in our archdiocese, you can only receive on the hand. And that was a question from a couple of weeks ago. And again, like we said, as long as the Eucharist is received reverently. But once you receive the Eucharist and you put it in your mouth, should you crunch down on the Eucharist with your teeth? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head in that first part, though, when you said, once you receive reverently. And I, I've done both. And I think the key is to receive reverently. And then, as you, you, know, you point out, whether it's melt, the Eucharist melts, in your mouth or you chew down on it. I don't think, is there a church, official church teaching on that, Robert? So as I did my research into this, no, there is no official church teaching. So there, there's nothing in the catechism. There's been no official um, ex-cathedra statement saying Catholics should or should not chew on the Eucharist. The practice of not chewing on the Eucharist actually is kind of a, it was a pious practice that was done pre-Vatican II, okay. was to receive on the tongue and then just let our Lord sit there on your tongue, on the, if you want to say on the throne of your tongue, uh, as he slowly became one with you. Hmm. And that would allow you then to ponder on the magnificent ma- magnificence of the Eucharist. It would allow hmm. you to ponder on the fact that you're receiving our Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And so, and that was something that I was... So how did that change then come post-Vatican II? Did it change or did it just not... Did people say, well, I don't receive the Eucharist? I, I wonder I, if, I if 
part of it, and we've spoken about this before, is that notion of the lost sense of the sacredness. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's some people say, well, you shouldn't chew on the Eucharist the same way you chew on bubble gum. Mm-hmm. Right? Or you shouldn't chew on the Eucharist the same way that you, you know, would chew on popcorn or potato chips. It's right. not normal, natural food. Right, right. So you shouldn't treat it that way. But the more I, I've meditated on this and the more I've pondered this, so when we go back to the Eucharistic discourse mm-hmm. in John chapter six, and our Lord says, you know, unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man, you have no life in you. And again, going back to Bishop Barron, in his Catholicism series, he talks about this. He also has a small book on the Eucharist, which really delves into this. In that verse, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, the Greek word that is used for eat is trogain, right. which actually means to gnaw or to devour. Mm. So to gnaw on the Eucharist, kind of the same way that a dog gnaws on a bone. To gnaw on the Eucharist because you want to get every last single ounce of life-giving nourishment from the Eucharist. The same way now, when you're when you're gnawing on that bone, you want to get right out, like even the very marrow out of it. Now I'm even more confused because if you if you look at that pre-Vatican II statement of letting it melt, and then you talk about the Greek word of trogen and gnawing, devouring, it's like, well. Which one is it? Which I guess, that, and this is why probably the church hasn't come out with a definitive statement on it. No, exactly. Like there, Again, there is no definitive statement on it. And again, either, either or. So there, there's that nine to get the nourishment out of it, or there's the allowing it to sit so that you can ponder the mystery of Christ. Kind Which of are the both same, nice. Yeah. In the same way that you know, whenever we hear of Mary in the Gospels, it always says she pondered these things in her heart, mm-hmm. right? And to, and to ponder on something is to hold a thought and savor it. So the same way that when you're eating a meal that is absolutely flavorful and you hold the food in your mouth and you just savor the food, or the same way when you take a nice sip of a Chimay red cap yeah. and you let the you know, full body beer bit left. sit yeah. on your palate. Yeah. Right. I like that ponder. I like that. I wonder if the Greek for ponder is is mentioned with the Eucharist in any way, because I like the way he mentioned about Mary pondering. I think that's maybe some research that needs to be done for another show. Absolutely. But on that note, again, the hour has flown by. I think it's even been longer than an hour, Robert. Yeah, no, as as always, the time seems to to fly by. And like you say, maybe it's a little bit longer than an hour, but uh, you know, through the magic of editing. We'll make sure that it's well. Not only will That's we make why sure Robert that we is on a 70 30% royalty cut right now, which yeah. we're, you know, we have lawyers looking into that, see if we can get that to a 50 50 split. But so, not only do we have these new shiny microphones, microphones to help yes. make us and we pick the same sound. colors, did we do that on purpose? We had black or or blue or gray, uh, silver, correct? The, the, or was... the shiny silver was the only one that was on sale. Oh, that's why. So I wasn't, I wasn't going to fork out the money just to have a different color than yours. That's right. right, Yeah. So yeah, no, the time seems to have flown by. Yep. And it's always been a pleasure, both the pint and the conversation, Robert. 
but especially the pint or in the case of the growler or the Chimay red cap, the pint and a half. Pint and a half. Yeah. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you about our faith. Very true. And just before we wrap up, perhaps there's one last quick favor we could ask our listeners. Yeah, if you could just take a quick moment and a couple of clicks to follow the Pints and Pews podcast on your favorite platform and give us a review. And while you're at it, give us a like on Facebook and drop us a line. Yeah, and please God, we'll chat again next week. God willing. And until then, remember the wise words of G.K. Chesterton. In Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. God bless.